Welcome to another podcast by Victoria Point Baptist Church. We are glad you have joined us today. If you would like to connect with us as we aim to introduce people to Jesus by connecting with our local community and beyond, you can find out more at vpbc.com.au. Um, I actually spent a week in Melbourne and got back on late Thursday night and um, I, I didn't actually know that it was raining. So like, I come back and... Um, a few things have changed. Uh, Redlands is underwater, and um, my my pool is the same level as the grass outside our backyard, and so it's just one giant ocean of mud, uh, which will be fun trying to clean. But um, the other thing that I sort of came aware of uh, coming back into the world um, as I flew in is that uh, Russia had actually invaded Ukraine, and um, I don't want to make light of that because that's it's it's significant. And um, I, I have to admit that I got so much wrong. So I, I had gone and I, I'd gone from being an expert in um, vaccines, and now I thought I was an expert in Eastern Europe uh, politics, and I thought I had an understanding. And I'm like, there's no way Rush, um, Vladimir Putin is going to be silly enough to actually invade Ukraine. I mean, you might make a statement and stop Ukraine from becoming a NATO state. Um, you know, if he holds a little part of it, then he's sweet. So, um, completely wrong. And so, um, one thing that I've come to terms with is that I, I really don't have a clue what's going on. And um, that's honest Sam speaking, that um, I like to think I know what's going on in the world. I like to think I'm... But I just don't. There's so many things. And so I'm learning to walk in humility this week. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things. But I was in my devotions yesterday. I was just reading through um, Psalms 2 verse 1. And in Psalms 2 verse 1 it said, Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rules, rulers band together. And such a just, a just really hit me as I was hearing about what's going on. And, and I, I love walking with God because... Uh, what, when he, when walking and just reading his word, it comes alive with what's happening in the world as well. So uh, God is relevant. God is real. The, living, the, the Bible is living and breathing and continually speaks to us. Uh, the nations may rage, but we trust in the Lord. And so we have faith. Our faith takes us through it. And uh, so we're looking at this Dry Bones series. And the Dry Bones series is a look at uh, the bones, that, there's these dry bones that are sort of prophesied to come together. And I'm going to read a little bit from Ezekiel 37.4. Uh, Then he said to me, this is Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And uh, so we're approaching this, this series, just looking at, as a church, what is faith-filled prayer? How do, how do we have bones coming to life? Because essentially we, we look around at the world and we're like, hey, the world's a mess. The first thing is to realize that there are dry bones, that what, what God's plan and what, what we have as a reality is, is a very dis- different thing, uh, that this, God is wanting to build his church, he's built his kingdom and breathe life into dry bones because I've, all I've got is dry bones. All we have is dry bones until, until we start walking in faith and allowing God to, to um, work in us. Uh, what really kicked me in the gut this week was uh, on Friday when I was reading about some of the parents who are 
putting stickers on their kids in Ukraine and writing their blood type on it. And I just, like, the, the reality of war is, is horrific. And we're a little bit sheltered from that in Australia. We're a little bit sheltered from, from what goes on there. And it's only, it's only people who've never experienced war that actually walk step, take steps towards it. But war is horrific, and uh, it, it, it's upsetting. And I know that, you know, we could, we could go through to the sermon and just talk about, hey, um, world peace, you know, let's all be nice to each other. But there's a, there's a significant difference between trying to achieve world peace by coercion and achieving world peace by God, breathing life into his people, by building his kingdom and seeing his kingdom established, because that's where peace reigns. We're only going to see world peace through kingdom's heart. Like, God... God wants to change his people and transform us. You know, and I'm wrestling with, um, we've got some beautiful young people that ask some really good questions and I love it. And one of the questions that keeps coming up is why does God allow evil to exist? Really good question, really relevant when we see war. And we keep, I keep coming back to the place of God allows evil to exist because removing it would be removing me. Because part of me is, is evil. Part of me is broken. Part of me is bad. And so I'm part of the problem in humanity. So for God to remove evil, it would mean removing all humanity. But he's addressed it by Jesus. And I, don't, I know you, you've probably said that a, f- a few times. You probably, Sam, you don't need to say it again. But it's good to be reminded that God is wanting to address world peace through his people, through his kingdom, who are believing in faith and allowing God to operate in and through them and bring that transformation. And it's, it's more than just wishful thinking. It's taking hold of God, and it's, it's responding to the space of desperation. So today we're, we're looking at the, the role desperation plays in us having faith-filled prayer. Uh, how can God use the this, this space of desperation in the world? See, one of the biggest problems is we actually don't know how to respond. I don't know how to respond. How do you respond when you see war, rumours of war? War is nothing new. It's been happening since the dawn of time. How do we respond? How do you pray in this situation? I, I don't even know how to pray for Ukraine. Like, how do you pray? Pray in that space. You've got Russians praying. You've got Ukrainians praying. You've got the world praying. It's, it's hard to know exactly how we engage in this space. And so we're going to unpack a little bit of how God can use desperation to drive us in a, in a really good way and how can God be active in times of desperation. So uh, I know we read Matthew uh, Matthew's version of the story, but I'm going to kick over to Mark because I like Mark's version a little bit better. And uh, Mark 21, uh, there we go. Mark 21, uh, we're going to look at these questions of how can God use us in a space of desperation. Uh, when Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then when one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hand on her so she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now the context of this is is that Jairus was actually a religious leader, synagogue leader. So he was a big big kahuna, a big wow person in uh, Jewish uh, ritual and and system. And um, he, he... had a dying daughter. The interesting thing about this in two ch- chapters early in Mark 3 is that Jairus was part of uh, a group of Pharisees who were actually trying to work out how to kill Jesus. So he, the context is that, that you know, these guys were trying to conspire and, and politically motivate to kill Jesus. 
and then his daughter's in a state of dying. He becomes desperate and he pushes through the politics to Jesus. And I love that because I think that's really profound for us as a church that we push through the politics in the world and hang on to Jesus. That we reach out to him because he is the hope. Sometimes we get caught up in the politics. I get caught up in the politics. I get, oh, you know, that's a bad policy. That's a bad leader. You know, God is able to work in and through our level of desperation and in through what we, the situations we're in. We push through the politics and reach out for him. And she came, he, he came to her and said, my little daughter is dying. That's profound. And that changes your state. And, and maybe some of us today are in a des- desperate space. We're desperate for, to see God work and move. We, we have a situation in our life where like, we need God. We need you now. We need you to pull through. And I can't go through this on our own. There's, um, there's a myth in Christianity that God will only give us or allow us to experience things that we can handle. Has anyone heard that? Yeah, it's not in the Bible. Um, the Bible talks about he'll never tempt us beyond what we can be tempted and he'll allow us a way out. But you try telling the disciples that were tortured, that were cut in two, that were boiled alive, that, that, that they were able to handle that. See, God will often allow situations to develop that are beyond us so that can reach hold of him through a faith. Through faith. See, faith only operates in a capacity beyond what we can handle. That's faith. Otherwise, it's us doing it. And so there's a very real sense is that, you know, God doesn't fix all our problems. He doesn't take us out of the situations we're in as much as we'd want that. But he wants to build his kingdom in our hearts first and to start to change and transform the world. There's going to be a time where there's not going to be any sickness or pain or crying or tears or sadness and death. I desperately want that place. But it's God birthing it through his people. Awesome. So the context of, of this, this Jairus, he, he was in a group of people who really didn't like Jesus and wanted to remove him. But he pushed through the politics, laid hold, and went to Jesus. Now, straight after this story, there's this woman who's been caught in bleeding for 12 years. So Jesus is on his way to have a, have a chat and heal Jairus' daughter, and this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years comes up, and, and she's so embarrassed by... Her situation, she doesn't even talk. She just reaches out and lays hold of Jesus and is healed. And Jesus turns around and affirms her. And I, and I love this picture that she didn't need to say anything. And, and I think that sometimes we don't even know what to say. We don't even know how to respond. We don't even know what it is. Like, what is our response? What is our response to war? What is our response to when we've got loved ones who are dying, who are loved ones who've got cancer? What is our response Sometimes we don't even need to have the words, but lay hold of him. Now, there's a beautiful thing. Uh, it's called the gift of speaking of tongues. And um, I think, you know, we, we're a good Baptist church. We don't talk about tongues much. But I think there's a beautiful gift of not knowing what to say and allowing God to say it for you. And so it's something that's been a tremendous blessing to me in my life is that speaking tongues for me by myself, Allowing God to give me words cause it, and, and, and just embrace his peace through it. So it's a really, sorry I just went there, but um, I think it's really cool that we can lay hold of Jesus and not necessarily have the words to, to form. It's okay to not know how to respond. We just reach out and connect and be with Jesus. It's that intimacy and relationship that takes us through. 
But this is desperation that changes our priorities. The sense of desperation that Jairus changed his priorities and he's no longer uh, a Jesus hater. He's actually going to him to, to be healed. This woman who was ostracized from society, she, wouldn't have, she would have been walking pollution. This wo- woman with bleeding, she wasn't allowed to be around anyone. Anyone she came in contact with would have to ostracize. It's a bit like COVID. Anyone who coughs or sneezes or someone in your household, you're sort of forced to ostracized. That's this woman's context. And uh, Jesus reached out and connected with her in such a powerful way. And uh, while Jesus was talking to her, we pick up the story in verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Like, not to mince words, but I mean, that's a pretty blunt way of putting it. Uh, Your daughter is dead. Um, Not soft landing there. Um, why bother the teacher anymore? I've just lost where I'm reading from. Uh, your daughter is, why bother the teacher anymore? Uh, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. See, this desperation, this place of desperation that Jairus is, is in, his, his people have come up and said, hey, uh, your daughter's dead, don't bother the teacher anymore. And I, I want to just put pause there because so much of our world looks at Jesus as just a teacher. So, so much of our society is like, oh, you know, if you'd ask people, like, who's Jesus? Typical response, he's a guy that did some good stuff. Um, and what did, what did Jesus teach? Oh, love people, love your neighbours yourself, uh, that sort of thing. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's part of it. But you see, Jesus is more than just a teacher. And these people around Jairus are saying, hey, don't bother him. He can't do anything about it. That's what, that's what they're saying. And so Jairus' challenge is, okay, what do we do with this space? Um, is Jesus just a good teacher or do I have faith enough to pursue Jesus and allow him and invite him to take control and to be in a situation? And so in our place of desperation, in our place of maybe despair, anxiety, whatever it is, would we have faith-filled prayer, faith enough to lay hold of Jesus and say, you are more than just a teacher? So one of the problems in, in Christianity over the last, ever, ever since Jesus came, is that we've been teaching Christian ethics. And you're like, Sam, well, that's a good thing. I'm like, yeah, it is. But the problem with teaching Christian ethics is we've left Christ out of it. So in, 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 in um, Sunday schools, we've got an amazing Sunday school, and um, we don't do this, but we, there's this emphasis that in churches we just teach the Ten Commandments and we just teach rules and rituals and ethics. And see, that alone is not a bad thing. It's good, you know, the boundaries. We want our kids to be good kids. The problem is, is the point of the Old Testament is that you can't do it. The whole point of the Old Testament is that you, this is God's expectation and you can't do it on your own. And somehow we're teaching our kids to try and do it on their own. And then when they get to high school, they're like, I can't do it on my own. But see, if we teach ethics without Christ, we're missing the whole point of the Bible. And so it's important for us as Christians, as believers, that we see Jesus as more than just a teacher. He is God. He is Lord. He is King. And that changes everything. We can't do it on our own. See, if we teach our kids that they can be good on their own, there is no need for Jesus. No need at all. Why do you need Jesus if I can try and be good myself? Now, there's a remnant of goodness that's in the world. That's it's like an uh, expression of God that's still there. It hasn't completely gone. So can there be good people, good things in the world 
um, outside of the church, of course. But what I'm saying, to truly lay hold of what it is to be good, we can't do it on our own. We need Jesus. And that desperation is like Jairus. It's like this woman in bleeding who's been bleeding for 12 years takes us to a place of realizing we need him. Because it's only when you need something that you operate in faith. God continually talks us in the New Testament about having a faith. We can't have faith unless we're desperate or we have a need that's beyond our capacity. All right, that's my side hobby. I, 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 love, I love preaching that Jesus is needed. He is central. And it's not just about doing good things. It's not just the good works. Jesus is more than just a teacher, amen? Yes, you're alive. Fantastic. Awesome. Uh, so good. Okay, verse 37. Uh, he did not let anyone in, anyone who followed him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Um, oh, side note, one of the most remarkable things. Sorry, my mind's like this. If you're like, I can't track you, Sam. That's right. I've struggled to track myself. Um, how amazing is it that the brother of Jesus, the brother of Jesus, and uh, like James, um, and um, was a disciple? I mean, you think of you think of the brother of Jesus actually believing that his brother is the Son of God. I mean, that's a, that's incredible. That is like such a proof. If you look at you think of your brother and you think, oh. Um, He's not really very Messiah-like. He's probably the greatest critic to ever exist. Your brother or sister, whoever's in your family, would be the greatest um, critic of you. But we see a disciple who is Jesus' own brother who affirms him and actually dies with that belief. Anyway, side note, I'm like, wow, that's that's cool. Um, Not that he died. Sorry, you know where I'm going. All right, back onto where we're heading. Uh, When they came to the home of the synagogue, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? Um, there's not a lot of sensitivity in the, in the Old Testament. I, like in, the, in, in that period, I don't think. You know, they, they came in and told Jairus that his daughter was dead. Jesus comes and saying, why are you guys mourning at a funeral? And... Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, side note. But um, he, he said, hey, while this wailing commotion, the child is not dead but asleep. And they laughed at him. And, and I, I love this next bit. And he said, and it says, and he put them out. Now, we don't know how Jesus put them out. We've seen Jesus put people out before. He goes into the temple with uh, a whip and he drives people out. Uh, the point is not so much how Jesus put people out. The point is, is that people who didn't have a faith, who, who only saw him as a teacher, didn't get to see him do the miracles. The people without faith didn't get to see Jesus at work. And so there's a sense of that God wants us as his people to have a faith, to trust him, to see him at work, so that we can see his kingdom come, so we can see what he is alive and active. It's sometimes where our society is like, I can't see God because they, they have no faith. They only see, him, see Jesus as a, as a good teacher, as a moral, ethical person. And it's when we start operating in faith, you start to see more things. Maybe that's been your journey, but it's certainly been mine, that as I walk, the closer I walk with him, the more I see. The more things I see, the more things that come together. And uh, so I want to encourage us to have faith, trust him, 
and start to trust that he will come and be a part of your situation. He didn't let the faithless to witness his miracle. He took the child's there we go. He took the child's father and mother and disciples who were with him and went in where, where the child was. He took him by the hand and said, Talifakum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to talk, to walk around. She was twelve years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, Jesus wasn't trying to promote himself. He was trying to build his kingdom. And uh, they, I mean, you're having a, a dead girl now alive is naturally going to carry in the local newspaper. Uh, but Jesus' purpose wasn't self-promotion. It was building his kingdom and his time wasn't right then. But there's a sense that desperation drives us. Desperate times call for desperate measures. You might have heard that. And uh, Jairus was desperate, pushed through the politics to get to Jesus. The woman who was bleeding for 12 years pushed through to connect with Jesus. Uh, desperation can, will drive us somewhere. Would, would desperation in the situations we see in the world drive us to Jesus in faith-filled prayer? Jesus is not just a teacher, not just a friend. He's our king. And uh, as, we, as we develop and discover that, um, we would discover something different, something different about who he is, that he's not just a teacher, but he comes with authority and power. I love how Jesus said, uh, Talitha kum, little girl, get up. He didn't say abracadabra. You know, he just spoke with authority. He's like, hey, this is how it is. See, the reality is, is Jesus is Lord and King of the world. Whether you accept it or not, that's a different story. He is king, and it's up to us to allow that kingship to rule and operate in our lives. And that kingship allows us and gives us opportunity to have faith and trust in him. So in our desperation, there's an old hymn that says, uh, um, take it to the Lord in prayer. And I love it. It's in our space of desperation. Would we take what's on our heart to God in prayer, in faith-filled prayer, knowing that Jesus is more than just a moral or ethical teacher, that he has authority and he has power to work in an amazing way. So Jesus brought an amazing restoration and healing to that family. Faith-filled prayer recognizes the scale of our inability and God's capacity. Prayer grants us to be willing participants that he can use for his purposes. Uh, in, in Daniel 3, we read about Neb, King Nebuchadnezzar, who uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a fiery furnace. And, and their response was, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to King Nebi, King Nebi, it, it'll stick. Um, they said to King Nebi, they said, uh, our God is able to save us, but even if he doesn't, we will never serve you. And it's, that's that faith-filled prayer. That even if God doesn't fix my situation the way I want it to be fixed, God is real, he is a king, and he is Lord, and I'm going to continue to worship him. And that's something for us. In this world that's out of control, would we continue to have faith like that, that says faith is not the substance of power, but it's trust in the one who has power, all power and authority. And I never need to activate faith unless we're in situations of desperation or need, or in a space beyond our own capacity. There will be times in your life that you will be beyond your capacity to keep going on. That's okay. And often God will allow us to get to that place to realize we need him. 
Often the church is full of hurting, broken people because they are the ones that have come to the place of realising they need Jesus. But the, the other beautiful side of that is that you don't actually need to be broken to absolutely nothing to realise you need Jesus. But often it's the people who have nothing left that realise that they need him. Desperation drives us to activate our faith. See, faith is only realised when you are operating beyond your capacity. All of Jesus' disciples were at times to, to called to operate beyond what they could handle or control. Moved, we're called to be moved from the space. Desperation does some one, it's an interesting things for all of us. It drives us somewhere. Would our desperation drive us to Jesus? Now, if you know what the word DEFCOM means, DEFCOM is a, a military term in America. It's their level of readiness. It, it literally means defence-ready condition. Now, DEFCON, uh, there's five levels, and the, the lowest level, which is kind of always at, um, is DEFCON 5. So if you've seen in movies, like, oh, we're up to DEFCON 3. You're like, what is that? DEFCON is a, the state of alertness of of, of the nation of America. Now, we have a different system in Australia, uh, but in America, um, we have a... Oh, ours is a little bit different. Uh, but we're going to stick with DEFCON because it, it's, it's cool. Um, five levels, and the default is DEFCON 5. Everyone's at DEFCON 5. It's kind of like chilled, relaxed. And um, I, I think that in, in a very real sense, our church, not our church exclusively, but church in Australia, has been sitting at DEFCON 5 for way too long. And what happens is, is, is as situations unfold and situations um, draw the nation of America into conflict, or if there's, you know, the Cold War, for instance, the Cold War, um, America went up to DEFCON 3. And so it moves up and heightens state of alertness. And, and as, as situations get a little bit more out of control, the state of readiness increases as well. Um, DEFCON 1 has never actually... America's never been to DEFCON 1, so if you, you see in the movies, DEFCON 1 never happened. That's like nuclear war is imminent. But there's a certain state of readiness and alertness that increases. And I, I believe as a church that God is wanting his church to move out of DEFCON 5 into an increased state of alertness and readiness. You know, we've, we've been quite laid back and, and, and just passive and waiting. And yes, there's a season for that. And we have seasons that sometimes some of us are not in the space and we need healing and recovery. Get that. But in general, God is wanting his church to be ready to mobilize, to, to respond effectively. Uh, and, and I suppose the response is, would God allow us to change our state of readiness, to have an awareness, an alertness of what is going on? A spiritual awareness that we see the situations and we know how to respond in prayer, that we lay hold of him. We, we can't determine a lie until we know the truth. And I think that's part of an alertness of us as a church aware of what God is doing is also allowing us to see what the plan of the enemy as he seeks to kill, rob and destroy us. And so I pray that my prayer for us as a church is would we have a revelation which allows us to see through our desperation to a God who wants to move and drive us into deepening discipleship, dependence, intimacy, and faith-filled prayer? Would God drive us through our desperation into his arms? God is wanting his church to be responsive to his leading in a heightened state of alertness. Do, do, you, 
Does this resonate with you? Like it resonates with me. As a Christian, I've grown up with without really a sense of desperation, if I'm honest. I mean, everything, I've got amazing parents, amazing family, haven't really needed to operate in faith-filled prayer. But I think there's a season that our world, our church, is, is walking into that is calling us to be more than just asleep, more than just Netflix-watching Christians. Not that I love Netflix. Uh, not that it's a bad thing, but there's more to life. There's so much more that God is calling us into Would we allow his spirit to move. Um, one of the amazing challenge, uh, opportunities I've had in my life was to uh, volunteer in the Israeli army, many of you know. And um, the, the guy I was working with, my, um, my, the guy who was teaching me and training me about how to fix the tank engines, he was actually a part of the Yom Kippur War in 1973. And a really amazing experience. And he was sharing how uh, they, they responded, how um, on Yom Kippur, when the nation of Israel was celebrating their most holy, sacred day of the year. Everyone was at home or in a synagogue, just uh, really in the Word. Like in the Old Testament, they read a lot, and it's, it's a beautiful space. Uh, all the Arab nations around them invaded out of the blue. They didn't have a, an awareness of what's going on. Uh, but um, my, my commander, who, who was telling me about this, he, he was sharing how... Uh, you know what? They didn't even have to um, set out word for the nation to mobilise. The nation of Israel didn't need to, oh, what are we going to do now? Do you know that everyone went to their home as soon as they heard the bombs come in? The, the people went home, grabbed their gun, grabbed their kit and gear and went to the front lines. They knew where they had to go. See, they had been spending their seasons of peace preparing for war. They knew where to go. And, and I suppose what, what my heart is is that as a church, that in the seasons of, you know, where we, we don't need to be desperate, that we'd prepare our hearts, that we would disciple, that we would activate our faith and that we would engage in a relationship with God so that when things hit the ceiling, we know how to respond. We know how to respond effectively. And so this is, this is a, a thing for parents, you know, as a parent. My, my primary role as a parent is to bring my kids not up in the ethics of Christ, but in relationship with Christ. There's a difference. And so often I'll be like, hey, kids, here's, here's some good rules for you to follow. Without missing the heart of kids, here's a God who loves you. He wants to transform you. He wants you to come alive in him. And and ironically, as you focus on that, the kids actually want to do the right things. But it's a very fundamental difference. So we've got a season, we've got an opportunity as a church now to be uh, in a heightened state of readiness, to be intentional, to be faith-filled prayer in, in in leading our families by faith. And it's not up to Pastor Paul to make you ready. And I, and I mean that with all respect, you know, that it's not the pastors, it's, it's not the, it's, we as an individual need to take hold and own that discipleship, that bringing our kids up is not the church's primary focus, it's equipping of the saints so that you guys can grow and disciple yourselves. We are responsible for our own discipleship and faith walking. So well, that's an encouragement, but it's a challenge as well. God's method of mobilizing, building, and equipping his kingdom is his people led by his spirit. So I'm not an expert in Russia-Ukraine politics. 
but I want to be an expert in going to God. I don't, I don't know what's going on, but I want to be like the woman in, who was bleeding for 12 years who, who just reached out and without speaking laid hold of Jesus. Would we as a church lay hold of him today with eyes wide open, hearts full of prayer and desperate that we see God's kingdom come in its fullness, uh, that lives will be set free. So we don't need a detailed revelation of the future. And there's a, there's a danger here as we start to see things happen in the news. We're like, oh, pull open Revelation. Wh- which chapter are we up to? You know, people have been doing that for 2,000 years. We don't need a detailed future, but we need a greater revelation of Jesus as our Lord and King because we can trust him. He's got it in control. I will continually misread the signs and times, but I want to lay hold of Jesus and I encourage us to do likewise. Uh, he, Fun fact, we are not part of the planning committee for Jesus' return. We're part of the welcoming committee. Faith-filled prayer begins with a realisation that the need is greater than our capacity. We're not encouraging God to follow through with being a good God, but rather allowing ourselves to be the vessels through which God has chosen to work through. Our future can feel dry, barren, desolate. Would God breathe his purpose over your life? If you're feeling dry, go to him. Don't go to systems, rules, religion. Don't come to church. Well, do come to church, but uh, don't come to church expecting to feel your, your, your bones come alive. That's the work that Jesus does with his spirit in and through you. There's a, there's a pastor in Ukraine who posted this uh, two days ago. He, he said he's got four daughters. He said, how should the church respond when there is a growing threat of war? When there is constant fear in society, I'm convinced that if the church is not relevant at a time of crisis, then it is not relevant in a time of peace. We have decided to stay both as a family and as a church. This breaks my heart. When this is over, the citizens of Kiev will remember how Christians have responded in their time of need. Let's pray So we invite the band up. Heavenly Father, Lord, the need is great. The need is bigger. Lord, would you stir your people to respond? Lord, would you take us out of our space of slumber and have an awareness that this world desperately needs you? Lord, but Lord, let us not be driven by a burden of guilt, Lord, but a burden of love. We, we love this people. We love the people in Ukraine. We love the people in Russia. Lord, where our heart breaks when we see leaders lead not from a space of your authority or your kingdom. So, Lord, we pray over the leaders in Ukraine and leaders in Russia right now. We just pray that they would have a revelation of you, a revelation and and an understanding of the value of human life, Lord. Would people have a change of heart, Lord? We want to see peace reign But Lord, we want to see more than that. We want to see your kingdom come into our community, into our lives right now. Would you challenge us out of our slumber, onto our knees in desperation, because we so desperately need you. Lord, would you reveal to us our true state, Lord, and your faithfulness, that we would have faith in you, that we'd trust you and lay hold of you. So, Lord, I just pray that your people wouldn't be, try to be experts in politics. 
Lord, that we would be experts in coming to you in faith and trusting you. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.